I think it was one of our presidents who made a comment about politics and sausage. You, do you know that expression, politics and sausage? You don't want to see how it's made? I think that's probably true. Uh, but we're going to break that tonight because I want to show you how a sermon is made. And to do that, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and 3. Actually, we're going to look at verses 13 through in chapter 2 verses for, through verse 7 of chapter 3, and really maybe even a little bit around that. But uh, in doing so, uh, I preached on this text about a year ago. I think it was early May 2021. I did a series in First Peter, May, May 2nd it was. And the sermon title was Opportunities to Mimic Christ. I know all of you remember that sermon well. Uh, and you've taken all of those applications to heart, and you've grown spiritually because of that. And I gave you a copy of the outline. Actually, uh, I went back and looked. I found the outline, and it had discipleship notes with it. And I know it was one of the messages that our little groups were using as part of discipleship. And what I want to do tonight is ask you the question, is the sermon valid? Is it valid? And was it the right approach to the text? So the goal of a preacher, of a pastor, is to explain the text. Really, that's all his goal. It's not to entertain his audience. It's not even really to keep their attention. His goal is to explain the text the very best he can. He wants to explain the passage of Scripture because all of the authority comes from Scripture. As I mentioned before, it is very dangerous for a speaker to get up, a preacher to, to preach a sermon filled with his own opinions. I hate to say it, but a lot of preaching today is done that way. It's, it's filled with the speaker's own opinions, opinions of Scripture, and the way he looks at certain issues. And, uh, and that kind of preaching is very dangerous because it doesn't capture what the Bible is saying, right? You miss what the Bible is actually saying. And then on top of that, you get something the Bible isn't saying. And I, I have sat through a lot of sermons. I hope I've never preached one like that. Certainly not my intent to preach that way. So if we're going to learn how to study the Bible effectively, we have to be able to evaluate it on some level of its competency. We have to know what it means. If we're going to be competent evaluators of Scripture as we're reading it, at the end of the day, I have to know what it means. So what I want to do is to evaluate this sermon from May 2nd, 2021, and see if I am doing justice to the text in front of us. Now, I'm not going to read this section. It's pretty long. We will go through it in a little while. And we're going to ask a bunch of questions as we do. But I want to walk you through the sermon that I preached. And the sermon had two points. In fact, uh, you'll see them there. The first point is that we're to voluntarily submit to our authorities. And the second point is that this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, I derived from the first point, after I said you, you need to submit to your authorities voluntarily, you should consider yourself under the authority of another. Now, that's point A under point number one. Okay, sorry, little comment from choir time. Because we are under someone else's rule. That's where we're at. And submission means this is something voluntary. 
you don't need to write this down. You, it's the notes right in front of you, okay? So just follow along. And I pointed out four passages of Scripture there, four verses. Submit yourselves, be subject, be in subjection, and give honor to another, right from the text. And as I, and as I was preaching through that, then it led to the next idea, which was, even though we're to voluntarily submit, voluntarily submit ourselves under another, and we're to consider ourselves under the authority of another, that doesn't mean that it's dependent on the goodness of the authority. Sometimes we have bad authorities. And so I, I went back through those pet verses and I showed you that it, it doesn't include only good government, right? It could include bad government. It doesn't just mean good bosses, good masters. It can mean bad masters. It means not only good husbands, it can mean bad husbands. It doesn't just mean good wives. It can mean bad wives. And, 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 and at the end of that, that really is the whole text, except for a little section in the middle of the text where Peter then says, why? And I gave you a kind of transition statement, something probably like, even as we are to voluntarily submit ourselves to others, to other authorities, this, now, number two, is part of what it means to follow Jesus. And I showed you from verse 21 that this submission is part of being a Christian disciple. Right? It says that we should follow his steps. This is what it means to be a disciple. And that disciples should graciously submit like Jesus did. And I gave you three ideas. Suffering without personal guilt. That is, I'm not... I'm not suffering with my because of my own sin or I'm not responding sinfully adding to my suffering it means treating abusers with grace people who harm me responding graciously to them and it means giving up one's life to the ultimate judge so my point was when we voluntarily submit to authorities good or bad we're choosing to mimic Jesus do you see how I arrived at that we are following his steps. Now, how did I get to that conclusion? And that's what I want us to figure out. First, I think if you look at 1 Peter, right? Some of you have um, a reference Bible or you have a study Bible. If you do, maybe it tells you at the beginning it has a little paragraph that explains what each book is about. If you go back to the beginning of 1 Peter and you're reading through this, you get pretty early on the theme of suffering, or suffering for the gospel's sake, or suffering in light of the gospel, something along that line. Okay, and, and I think then the passage of scripture that I was preaching on comes from a large or a major section of the letter, of the book. So the major section begins in chapter 2 and verse 11. And in fact, if you in my passage it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Now he's really... He's transitioning from an earlier idea to a new idea that extends what he's already talking about. And this major section goes from 2.11 all the way from 3.12. Now the passage I was dealing with is inside that just a little bit. Verse 13 of chapter 2 through verse 7 of chapter 3. And I think that section, so you got these two outside sections, and that section is really the application of what he's saying. So I'm going to call chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, 
my first bookend. I'm going to call that a bookend. And this is how I would section off this major passage of Scripture in Peter. I'm going to say there's a first bookend, and the first bookend is, you see here he says in verse 11, I, be I beg you, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your lifestyle, your conversation, that's your lifestyle, honest among Gentiles, and he doesn't just mean people of other ethnicities, he's talking about unsaved people among pagans. So he says, live a noble life. Live a good life. That's kind of the first bookend. Now, if you look over at chapter 3, look, at, look down in verse 8. Here's the second bookend. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion of one another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be or full of pity, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that uh, thereunto you are called that you should inherit a blessing. And then he quotes here from one of the Psalms. And if, and if you look at this second bookend, he's saying to live in love and be at peace with one another. So you have these two bookends. The first is to have your lifestyle noble, honest, to live a good life. The last part is to live a good life. To be loving, to be kind and compassionate to live a good life. Those are the bookends. All right? This major section has these two big ideas, pillars. Bookends, I'm calling them bookends. You can think of them as pillars. Kind of and in the middle of that was my sermon. So I'm reading along in my Bible. I come to that verse 11, dearly beloved. And I'm, I'm now talking about a new theme. And in between verse 11 of chapter 2, those couple of verses, to chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, in between there is my section of Scripture, my applicational section that was talking about what does it mean to live a good life? At least one big application of that. And that's what we have to understand. So in between the two bookends is an extended application of what it means to live the noble life in front of our unsaved neighbors and friends. Now, I need to stop and say, are you all following this? Does this make sense to you? Do you see what I'm saying? I've got these two big sections, this major unit, two sections, they bookend, and in between is this application. Okay. This in-between section has four connected units. And then in the middle of it, one, I'm going to call it an excursus. You can call it a separate unit. It, it kind of draws out. It's different. Okay. And if you look at the four units, the first unit is chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. The second unit is chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. Then we have our breakout unit. Set it aside for a moment. Just kind of move that over, okay? That's chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. Then I have two more units that are connected. Unit 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and chapter 3 and verse 7. Now, how did I identify those units? You're saying, Pastor, I can never do this. I can, and actually, you can. It's really not that difficult. And this is why I'm a little afraid of showing you how the, the uh, sausage is made here, because after you go, really, that's all you did? There's, there's more to it, but, but yes, this is all I'm doing. Okay? I'm asking myself a question. When I'm reading this text, I'm asking myself a question. What means am I going to use to section off this passage? 
How am I going to break it down into thought units so that I can preach it so that people can understand it? And the thing I'm looking for is a key word or theme. So as you're looking at 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through chapter 3 and verse 7, what word stands out? What would you say it is? Somebody just yell it out. Subjection, submission. You see it in verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. What does he say? Submit. That's the first word. To submit. Uh, that means to order your life under the authority of another. It's hupatasa. It, it means under, hupa, under, tasa, to be in order, like a military unit. It's the idea of, uh, you ever seen the Marines march? You know, when they, when, the, when they say left foot, all their left feet hit the ground, right foot, all their right feet hit the ground, and it's, I mean, it is. And then, and then they do the, the movements with the rifle, you know, left shoulder arms and right shoulder arms, and then parade rest. And when they hit those rifles, all the rifles hit the deck at the same time. That's meaning to be in order. To be in order, under. That's what the word submit means. Submit yourselves. Chapter 2 and verse 18. Do you see it again? What does he say there? Be subject. Oh, we got our key word again. Now look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Likewise, you wise, be in subjection. Now look at chapter two, uh, 3 and verse 7. Likewise, you husbands. But you don't have the word subjection. I'll show you why in just a moment. But you have the word likewise, which gives you the idea that this is a continuing idea going on. So we have these four units in the, in the, have our two bookends, how to live the right kind of life. Here's my application, to be in subjection. So if we think of the key term as submit, is it valid for me to have said as my first point, we should voluntarily submit to our authorities? Is that a valid first point? Absolutely. I, I mean, I hope you agree. I think that's a pretty valid first point. I think that's what the text is talking about. Submitting ourselves. And, and in terms of voluntarily submitting ourselves to authorities, unit one, who's my authority? Go back to chapter two, look at verse 13. Who's my authority? Submit myself to who? Who am I submit myself? Submit yourself to every, verse 13, ordinance of, okay. Chapter two and verse 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And if you keep reading down, he says, verse 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So this first unit is the authority to which I am to submit myself is civil authority. What's the second unit? Look at verse uh, verse, what is it? Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. So who's the second unit? What's the second unit? That's masters. Now who are masters? I mean, when I use the word master, what, that's a nice way, that's kind of a clean way of saying what? A who? Nope, nope, no, that, you, just, you just made it into a contemporary. A slave owner. That's a slave owner. Okay. They own slaves. Now, the Roman slavery is different from American slavery, but it's still a slave owner. 
Okay? And it's not pretty. It's not, it's different. It doesn't make it better. It's just different. And it's not, it's not good. Okay? That's a slave owner. So you're to submit yourself. And who would, who would he be talking to here? He, who is he talking to? Verse 18. Who are the servants? That's a nice, clean way of saying who? It's the slaves. Slaves, submit yourself to the slave owners. Well, I'm just going to tell you, this doesn't preach real well in 21st century America, does it? But that's what he's talking about. And this unit is talking about submitting yourselves. And I would say, if I'm going to contemporize that, because we don't have slave owners and slaves today, what do we have? We have bosses and employees. I, I think the only contemporary application I can make is business authorities. So I have civil authorities and I have business authorities. What, look, let's look at the third unit down in chapter 3, verse 1. Wives be in subjection to who? Husbands. And I, and I think this is, this, is, um, this is kind of Peter almost replicating the household codes uh, back from Ephesians 6. So he's not going to say it here, but what could he clearly say? Children, be in subjection to your what? To your parents. That could also be here. Be, be ordering your life under their authority. So if our first authority are civil authorities, governmental authorities, our second authority are business authorities, our third authority here mentioned is the husband authority in the home. Now you get to verse 7, and it says, in the same manner, you husbands... But it doesn't say submit. Why do you think it doesn't say submit there? Because the husband is the head of the home, right? So it can't use the word submit or that's going to be weird. But it does say something to the husband. Not from the standing of authority, but in the same sense as someone submitting themselves to authority, they should treat their wives in a certain way. Now, <laughs> okay, just for a second, think about this, all right? You're not the authority. But you are the authority. And that's kind of what he's saying here. I, I am the authority of my home, but I'm supposed to treat my wife in such a way that she is so precious and so valuable to me that I give her a place of honor. Now, when you're honoring somebody, is the person honoring on the higher position or on the lower position? The person honoring. I am, I am exalting this person to a higher level. I'm saying more important. I'm giving you honor, right? So in a sense, while, while he's not saying be in subjection to your wives, because that wouldn't make any sense biblically, he is kind of saying that, right? He's kind of making that idea. Because if you're going to hold your wife with such precious value, you are going to subject your own desires to hers. Did you follow that? It doesn't mean she's the authority of the home, but as the husband, you are going to subject your desire to hers. So the authority here, in a sense, would mean wives. So the question then is point one valid. Let's go back. Do you see again the points that I gave? Point one. Consider yourself under the authority of another. We're under someone else's rule. Submission means that subordination is voluntary. And it's not dependence on the goodness of authority. Not to good government, good bosses, good husbands, good wives. In fact, if you read those passages, you're going to find that, that he really doesn't, he really doesn't uh, allow you to think of these people as necessarily good. In fact, 
if you, if you keep reading under point one letter B of my sermon that I gave you, not dependent on the goodness of the authority, look, let's look again at those units. Who's the king in verse 17 that Peter's talking about? When he says, honor the king. Who's the king? Who do you think the king is? I mean, this not, doesn't say in your Bible. You have to know history. Who's the king? Caesar. Do anybody know which Caesar he's talking about? Starts with an N. Nero. Now, I don't know if you know Roman history or not. Good or bad? Nero. Good or bad? Right? I mean, he's not Caligula. Okay. But Caligula was insane. He had a brain tumor, they think. So that's what explains why he made his horse a senator. He was nuts, kind of like King George III. Just brain tumor does weird things to your mind, right? But Nero was just a bad, 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 at least in terms of spiritual things, really bad. Peter says, honor the king. He says here in verse 18, be subject to your masters in all fear, not to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Is that a good boss or a bad boss? Is that a good slave owner or a bad slave owner? Can you imagine being a slave? Put yourself in that, in that position just for a moment and think, what would it be like to be a slave? And what would it be like to have a bad slave owner? Now, how does that preach today? Be in subjection to your bad slave owner. That's pretty tough, isn't it? And what about husbands? Look at, look at chapter 3, verse 1. Be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. Now, what does that mean? They don't obey the word. <laughs> They're not believers. So he doesn't say just be in subjection to good husbands. He says be in subjection to bad husbands. Do, do you know what's going on today in the Christian counseling world? We are unraveling that verse. Christian counselors are unraveling that verse. And they are saying, ladies, you only have to be subjected to good husbands. But if they're bad husbands, they're abusive husbands. Because all bad husbandry, that's not right. That's a farmer. All bad farmers, no. All bad husbands are abusive husbands. They're, they're, they're merging those two ideas together. So you only have to be in subjection to a good husband. But that's not what Peter is saying. He's comparing it to a slave owner. To a bad slave owner. If any obey not the word. This is an unbelieving husband. And you go down to verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, give honor to the, to the weaker vessel. Okay. Now, if you're continuing the same idea, bad king, bad slave owner, unsaved husband, really good wife though, right? Is that what he's saying? How does that logic to play, kind of walk through that? Bad king, bad boss, bad husband. Bad wife, right? Does that kind of follow? So I think that's what Peter's talking about. So it doesn't include just good wives. Now all of that ends the first point. We should voluntarily submit ourselves to our, our authorities, all of them, not only to the good ones. And does that seem to be a fair interpretation of the passage? I think it is. And that's why I preached it that way. And as you're reading it, that's what you're looking for. Those ideas, those major themes that are rising from the text. And does it give, does it fit the overall idea of Christians living the right kind of life? I mean, think about this. As a Christian, you've got a really bad boss, but now you submit yourself to your really bad boss, even though 
he's really bad. And all the other employees in your office are angry and they're talking about the guy behind his back and, they're, and they really would rather have him gone. In fact, they're going to do anything they can to get rid of him and you're treating him completely differently in a submissive fashion. Aren't you showing Christ in your, in your business, in your office? Or everybody in your family knows that your husband is just terrible. Everybody in your community knows it. In your family knows it. But you're submitting yourself under his authority. You are ordering your life under his leadership as bad as it is, as best as you can. You're going to do what he wants you to do with the exception of something sinful and evil. Aren't you showing Christ? You say, I don't know, Pastor. Am I or not? Well, that's the second point then, isn't it? Because the second point says, this is what it means to follow Jesus. When I submit myself to bad authorities, I am actually showing Christ-likeness to others, which is why I titled the sermon, Opportunities to Mimic Jesus. Here's your opportunity. If you're a wife of a bad husband, you can mimic Jesus. If you're a citizen of a bad country with a bad ruler, you can mimic Jesus. Because submission is part of discipleship. Look at verse 21. Here's my first of the two subpoints. Hereunto you were called. For to this, even hereunto, to this you were called. What is it? Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example so that you would follow his steps. He steps here, you step there. He steps here, you step there. Right? Did Jesus submit himself to bad authorities? All the way to the cross. And that's his point here. He went to the cross in submission. He could have called, he told Peter and his disciples, 10,000 angels to, to rescue him and take care of the Romans. It would have only probably taken one angel, right? Half an angel. An angel with wing tie behind his back. But Jesus... Jesus didn't do that. And notice here, verse 21, what does he say? If Jesus didn't do that, how should we be? Should we be submissive? Should we be subordinate to bad authorities? And I'm going to tell you something. In America, it's a little bit tricky. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to say this as an aside because I think it's important that we acknowledge that we don't have a Nero and we can't have a Nero because we don't have a king in America, right? This is the genius of our government. What is the ruler in the American government? Anybody know? What's the ruler? It's the, it's the United States Constitution. When I, when I joined the Marine Corps, I swore to protect and defend George Herbert Walker Bush. No, the Constitution of the United States. That's, that makes it a little bit different, right? Because what do you do when you see somebody actually attacking the supreme ruler? You defend the ruler. It, it is different. And all these people during the beginning of coronavirus who said the Constitution argument is meaningless, I'm going, it's not meaningless. You don't know American history. You don't understand. It is our supreme ruler. The president is not the supreme ruler. He's an elected official. The way we set, we set up our government 250-odd years ago was to make a man 
in a pos an elected position of authority, but he's still just a citizen of the United States. He's not anything more than a guy who puts his pants on or, or later uh, puts her hose on, however, whoever's elected. It'd be the same, okay? So I'm just gonna say that as an aside, you understand that. But what if you're living in China and you're a believer? Or what if you're Canadian, right? <laughs> got a different, you got the queen, honor the queen. A kinda, in the Commonwealth. But you have, it's different other countries. And so you have this here, and he says, to follow Christ's steps, to follow in discipleship, if any man would come after me, remember that's what he said, if any man would come after me, if anybody's going to follow my steps, here's the example of Jesus, to submit himself. And how did he do that? That was my second point there. How did he do that? And that's verses 20 through 22 to 23, or yeah, 22 and 23. How did Jesus submit himself? When he was reviled, or, or rather, 22, who did no sin, neither was thou found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So what we find here is the way Jesus submitted himself. It was full of grace. He submits himself, verse 22, he didn't respond sinfully when people sinned against him. Someone sins against you. They lie about you. They slander you. They mistreat you. What's your flesh response to that? What's, what's your flesh response? How do you want to respond? I want to get them back. You know, and it's worse if it's your wife or your husband, right? Because then, you know, or if it's one of your children, you know, mama bear type thing. That's, that's hard to watch. You see one of your children being mistreated. You want to jump right in there. Fix it. Okay? But when Jesus, when he was sinned against, he didn't sin back. When Jesus was sinned against, how did he respond to his abusers? Verse 23. When he was reviled, he didn't revile back. When he suffered, he didn't threaten them. He, he didn't say, I'm going to sue you. And you may end up, I guess it's possible, you may end up in a lawsuit situation. But as my dad used to tell me and has told me many times growing up, better to be the doer than the doer, right? Let people do it to you. You don't have to do it to them. That's good counsel. Jesus, people abused him, but he responded with grace. He, he responded with, with, well, not the way they did. He didn't, he didn't threaten back. And notice what he did. He did do something. He committed himself to the judge. Right? He knows that at the end, there will be a reckoning, and the judge will actually make all of this right. So you look at this sermon. How did we arrive at our conclusions? Right? The first point was all about the key term of submit, the key idea, and who we submit to. But then the second idea of the sermon was saying, why do we do that? Because the one who set the example for us did that himself. He left us an example of how we should live so that we could. He steps here, we step there. He steps here, we step there. So when the king, if you're in a country that does this, reviles you, you don't shake your fist and say, I'm going to foment rebellion. When, when your boss or your slave owner mistreats you, you don't slander him behind his back. When your husband 
is not being nice to you, but is rather being cruel and terrible. You respond like Christ with a gracious and sweet spirit. And when your wife is being difficult, or like the Proverbs say, she's a brawling wife, right? That argumentative, the drip, drip, drip of rain. It's the way Solomon says it. And look, the guy, he deserved it. He married too many women, right? <laughs> I mean, you marry 300 wives and 700 concubines, you're bound to have a couple of drip, drip, drips in there. Well, that's on your own head. But when she's like that, how do you respond to her? And that's the sermon. And I think that's what Peter's writing. So I'm reading from my devotions this week. I'm just going to, I'm just reading my devotions, and here I am, and I'm saying, I'm in 1 Peter. I know it's about suffering. I know it's about the gospel. I know it's this idea of how believers are supposed to react. And I get to verse 11 and it says, live a noble life. Live that noble life. Live that God-honoring life, chapter 2. And then it starts telling me how to do that. Be in submission. Be in subjection. Order your life under the rule of another. Because that's how Jesus did. And he applies it not just to business and not just to government, but in the Christian home between a husband and his wife. Now, is that what you would read? That is what I think it's saying. And I think that's what you would read. If you're reading it carefully, I think that's what you would come to. And all of that is because context matters so much. And that's what I want to conclude with. When you're reading, if you read this verses and all you read is one verse, or as some people, you know, they put it on, you open here to Hobby Lobby and they've got a plaque and they've got a verse on it. And those are, and sometimes really great, right? They would be very encouraging. But you read a verse and you read it out of context, you may not fully get what's being said. But remember what we talked about in the last couple of weeks. That's why you want to read the whole book in one time if you can. Because when you do that, all of this bubbles to the surface. And now you know, as Paul Harvey would say, right? This is the rest of the story. This is the meaning behind the passage. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word tonight and particularly in helping us to understand it better. I pray that the result of this exercise would be valuable and that as we read our Bibles, we would grasp what's being taught. Some places are very hard. They're not quite as easy as this text. Um, that's why I chose it. It's a, it's a challenge, but it's not too challenging. Some places it's very challenging. But we know, Lord, that your spirit will help us to understand better what you want us to know. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.